0: Welcome
1: to the Punk Rock NBA Podcast.
0: What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is nothing nowhere. You may know him as one of the more popular, more kind of ahead of the curve, quote unquote, emo rappers. Although, as we talk about in the show, he's a lot more than that. But you know, that's the term people like to use. So I will use it too. And let me just say, This is a fucking great episode. Please, please stick around and listen to this one, whether you're a fan of his music or not. He is a super thoughtful guy. We talk about a lot of stuff in here that I'm extremely, extremely passionate about. And I really, really hope everybody listens to this one. We talk about mindfulness, about having compassion, about just kind of how to manage your own psychology, especially for those of you who deal with depression and anxiety and stuff like that. This is the important stuff that I actually care about more than anything else, more than music, more than business. Like At the end of the day, it's about being a happy person and learning how to live in the moment and deal with the shit that we're all dealing with. And that is the focus of this episode. Really, really, really just can't say enough good things about how this one turned out so before we get into it though i wanted to mention a couple ways that you can support the show if you would like to number one you can share it on social media that really helps us get the word out number two you can pick up some merch there's a link to that in the show notes i got a bunch of cool new stuff some mugs a funny uh, edgy slogan an impact font shirt that is so far selling really well Uh, by my good friend michael cortada who's amazing artist and lastly you can support us on patreon if you would like to do that patrons get the shows early there's a private members only discord server there's a way to have me review your stuff lots of cool stuff happening over on patreon so you can check that out at the link in the show notes as well if you would like to but first, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of Q&A. From X Dirk and Lisa, just stumbled across last year's Lionheart album, awesome stuff and very honest lyrics about mental health and struggles. Would you want to do an episode on mental health and hardcore? I don't know that like doing a video about mental health and hardcore makes sense. That's kind of like a really niche topic, but you'll notice that I do talk about this topic a lot. Uh, in my videos in general, because I think it's kind of a, a a common thread in all this music that we're increasingly becoming aware of. You know, I've joked about this a million times, but it's true. You don't get into hardcore and metal and stuff like that because everything is great, right? Like you don't start listening to bands called Cannibal Corpse or Hatebreed or Death Threat, you know, because you're like a chill, normal, happy person. There's something you know, there's something wrong in your life that makes this stuff appealing to you, whether that's mental health or, you know, dealing with some kind of shit at home or whatever it is, like, there's a reason you're attracted to this darkness. And so that is something that I feel like is an important topic. One thing in particular that I would say that I've become increasingly aware of over the years is how many people who I used to think of as just kind of like eccentric characters were actually really mentally ill. And obviously, in my opinion at least, and obviously I don't want to name any specific people here because it's not my place to diagnose anyone. But you know, you think about certain people in the scene who are known for doing kind of wild stuff or just strange things or whatever. And maybe we thought like, oh man, he or she's just so wild and crazy. But if you think about it, you know, in hindsight, you're like, well, actually, maybe that person was like, you know, schizophrenic or, you know, doing so many drugs that they're effectively, you know, in the same place that they're, you know, they're experiencing psychosis that, you is functionally similar to, to schizophrenia. And maybe that's why this person was doing so many wild things. And if you view it through that lens, maybe it's not like a funny meme. Maybe it's actually kind of sad and scary. And this is somebody that we should want to help or be scared of, you know, or both. You know, I think oftentimes it's both. And that's a whole other kind of, you know, I talked about this in my straight edge video. That's kind of a whole other dynamic of like you can be sympathetic to someone while also holding them accountable for their actions. And I think, especially in hardcore, that's kind of the way to look about it, to to look at it. Because, you know, in hardcore, it's a little bit different than other genres where, like, violence is a much bigger thing. You know, emo and pop punk are not very violent. Hardcore does get pretty violent. And so you have to hold people accountable for their behavior no matter what is going on, you know, with your mental health or addiction or trauma you may, may have been through or anything like that that's causing you to be this, like, you know, Aggressive, violent, scary, unpleasant person. We can be compassionate and understand why they act this way, but we also hold them accountable for their actions because at the end of the day, you know, no matter what, you are responsible for the choices you make. So I don't know if any of that is uh, what you were looking for. Uh, I probably wouldn't ever do a specific episode about mental health and hardcore, but mental health in, you know, in, in its role in the alternative music scene is something that I will continue to talk about. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Joe, welcome to the show. I always feel weird calling people by their rap names. Like back when I would do graffiti, you know, people would be like, hey, what's up? This is my boy Lost One. I'd be like, oh, is it Brad, <laughs> nice to meet you.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm not cool enough to like just go by nothing nowhere so joe joe is fine
0: it would be a power move though if you did that like if you go to like chipotle you know and they ask you for your name that'd be a power move
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know i should start doing that for sure
0: i i think so nobody's going to take you seriously until you do gotta show (laughs) them who's boss yes sir at uh, I, first, I, I just I wanted to say I found you like, I don't know what it was four or five years ago through I'm sorry, I'm trying at a time when I was having a very, very, very hard time with depression. And I would say that that song describes, you know, the way that I felt at least better than anything else I've ever heard to the point where now I can't really listen to it because it's like just it's just too hard to hear. Which isn't really a question, but thank you for that. And I I think a lot of other people probably feel the same way.
1: Oh, dude, thanks. Uh, That's it. Makes me always makes me like very happy, and it feels like I'm doing something worthwhile um, when you know people find some solace within my music that way. Because you know, I was certainly going through it when I made that song as well.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, you seem like you're in a in a in a good place now. Is that? Am I imagining things or is that kind of where you're at or tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I I would say that's an accurate uh, assessment. I had to do a lot of work. Uh, It's been, you know, probably like five years with the Nothing Nowhere journey and it's been ups and downs, but for the most part, I mean, where I'm at now, uh, I think I'm, miles ahead of where I was in terms of my mental health even two years ago but that was through a lot of work that I had to do for sure is it hard
0: I guess my my thought would be you know if I had made your music and had gotten to a better place which I have too it would be hard for me to go back to playing the stuff that I made four or five years ago when I was in the shit is that something you deal with at all
1: Mm, yeah for lack of a better word I don't know if this is too much of a but I I feel like some of the songs are like triggering for me because uh they're so raw and visceral and they they connect me to a time where uh, uh I was really not doing well just so full disclosure like really bad panic attacks and depression stuff like that and it's hard to relive that sometimes and so I have to sort of distance myself from the the music for a while and you know when when I'll start on a tour or if we're getting ready for a live stream or something it's like okay like it's it's definitely draining but i feel like i can separate myself from those songs if i like almost act like it's a story and then it wasn't reality so yeah no that i i it's rough sometimes for sure
0: yeah i can imagine well you were very early to this currently popular style of music whatever you want to call it I would say, like, you and Bones were probably among the very first that at least I'm aware of. What was it like when you were doing that back in, you know, 2015 or so? I mean, you were kind of charting new territory back then. Were you sort of operating in a vacuum, or, you know, did you have peers, I guess, to bounce ideas off? Or what what was it like back then? Very different world than Mm. making that same music today.
1: Yeah, Yeah, extremely different. It was very fresh. It was very new. You know, when when someone heard a song like that, they would be like, I have never heard this type of music before. And they were a lot more stoked on it. Whereas today, you know, in 2021, they're like, oh, it's it's an (laughs) emo rap thing. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like, uh, you know, like Hyperpop is now. Or like when 100 Gex came out, it was just one of those moments where it was...
0: Like, what the fuck is this?
1: Totally. Yeah. Um, And it was... I wouldn't say it was a vacuum. I mean, SoundCloud, I mean... Isn't really the SoundCloud community. Maybe I just aged out of it, but it was very active then, and there was like an underground scene. Like, and and there were a lot of producers and artists. So many people just doing. I remember like so. phase was going in. Corbin, who was going by Spooky Black, was pumping out stuff, and it just felt like the Wild West. And it's kind of a bummer now that it's so saturated, but that's the way, that's the way things go. You know what I mean? If, 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 if something is, you know, going then like people are like, I, I want to get in on this, you know? Right. Well, you've
0: talked a lot in interviews and stuff about your influence as far as like, you know, older emo and stuff like that. But what I was wondering about is like, where does the rap and R and B side of things come in? Cause you have like a very good R and B voice, I think. And, you know, you're, I would say, much better at that stuff than most people in your kind of genre. So I feel like there's, I feel like you probably go kind of deep there too.
1: Yeah, it is weird. Uh, people definitely prefer to ask me about kind of the emo, post-hardcore stuff that I was into. Maybe that's just like the target audience or whatever. But I feel like uh, simultaneously, like growing up, super into, into rap and, and R&B. Like, uh, you know, my mom used to play like return of the Mac in the car, like Mark Morrison. Uh, my sister is huge in the, in the R&B and stuff like that. And when I was younger growing up in uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts, just like a boring suburb in, in Massachusetts, outside of Boston, we had a couple friends from Boston that we would make beats for. And we would uh, do like, emo hip-hop crossover stuff in like 2010 with them. We never thought it would go anywhere. We were completely wrong, never put anything out. I definitely think they got me more into rap and r and and stuff like that. Because I remember I was at Dairy Queen once. We rented out a local VFW venue and put, put up flyers around and we would do like rap shows or whatever. And I was at a Dairy Queen after the show and I was with my friend E and he... Pulled up to this dude and was like, hey, if I uh, beat you in like a rap battle, you have to buy my mixtape. And he obliterates the guy. And, uh, and I just remembered.
0: Was this just some random civilian or was it some other like rapper guy? Just
1: completely random. <laughs> yeah. So I remember he like obliterated him. And I remember that I was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was probably like 15 or something. And I was like,
0: like dude, we're in eight mile.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I was like, this is like, this is it we're doing it uh i don't know i just remember being captivated by that and it was it was a lot similar to when i first heard someone play like acoustic guitar for the first time and was like oh i want to like get into that so yeah like i mean the background's there i I loved wu-tang de la soul tribe called quest mf doom uh the funky homo sapien you know i just love all different types of music
0: yeah i think it's interesting that um you know, your your latest album is probably a good example of this. Like, I feel like we're in a post-genre kind of world where, you know, people like you can do everything from an emo song to a rap song. You have, uh, I forget the name of it, but they're screamy kind of song on there. And it all kind of works. It doesn't feel forced. It just feels like you can be fluid now.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I, and I think... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, the album sort of plays like Spotify, my Spotify likes, which I've said before. And uh, I don't think people are ingesting um, albums in the same way anymore because uh, there's just too much music. There's too much music. Our, Our attention spans are nowhere near what they used to be. And I think the philosophy is shifting and genre elitists are sort of, you know, falling by the wayside, which... I think is rad. I don't know if everyone else does.
0: Well, I think it's cool that artists have permission now to just do whatever the fuck they want. And I don't think at least I don't see fans really, at least the, you know, the decent ones have any issue with that. They're like, Oh, I wish he would just stick with one thing. Like nobody says that.
1: Yeah. There's always like the select few that, that do, but I think like the overwhelming majority are just kind of cool. If I'm thinking my own fan base, they're just cool with me doing whatever, which is, um, very relieving um, as someone who makes music, because if I was facing all this pressure to like do the same song like a hundred times, I'd probably lose my mind. Yeah, yeah, it, it's super relieving, and and it doesn't matter anymore. Like, MGK had a number one album, just decided to do pop punk, and his fans didn't care.
0: And then he just did that rap song with like, or kind of trap metally song with
1: Corpse. Yeah, Corpse. Yeah, it's, you know,
0: he's just like, I'm just gonna do whatever the fuck I want
1: yeah, it's rad. I th- I feel like it's like, I feel like it's like, cause everyone has access to just doing whatever at their home too. Like, I don't know that you don't have to be in a specific scene. You don't have to be, there's no like regional sound anymore. There's right. just, everything's been broken down.
0: Like Russian kids doing Memphis rap.
1: Yeah. Straight up. It's huge over there. Do you know how that happened? Suicide boys. Probably.
0: And did they tour over there or something, or like why?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, like, uh, so Bones and Suicide Boys are like really big over there, and I'd say Puya and the Buffet Boys are really big over there. That's my, that's what I my theory, I guess. But they got really into that
0: because it's like half the comments and all their videos are in Russian.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they love that. Russians love that dark kind of like ghost main vibe for sure. I mean, they
0: they do it well. I guess I, guess I can understand why it would. I would appeal to them. But yeah, I just I I feel like this started happening kind of in the MySpace days when people started having access to just at a click, like vast amounts of music in all kinds of different genres. Like I remember bands back then would start, you know, listing their genre as a joke as like deathcore, crunk, R&B or whatever. And it was a joke then. But now that's what people actually do. (laughs) You know?
1: No, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was one of those MySpace kids putting my emo covers up on my my page and uh you know I had friends and yeah and and it's it's just cool that it's like it's gone so far now that like I don't know people are always gonna call me emo rapper nothing nowhere which is like I don't have a say in that and I've learned to just be like whatever that's that's just what people are gonna do but for people to like not care if like if if i make like a whatever genre song is like super liberating
0: i mean i feel like you could if you put out a song or even a whole album of like anything i i feel like you have permission to do that permission by the fans i mean you know
1: yeah yeah i mean if it it, (laughs) there's probably limits extreme limits that i would never touch like you know, it'd probably be a little uh, culturally inappropriate to put out like a reggae album. <laughs> but then, I don't know. You won't know out. until you try it. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. No, nah, I mean, I think it's like an exciting time. And like, I've been working on a lot of like heavier music. It's just fun. I don't know. Like, that's just why I made music in the first place is to have fun.
0: Well, talk about signing to Fueled by Ramen. You're obviously a smart guy. You could do all this on your own, I'm sure, but you chose to sign with a label. What was your thought process there?
1: Yeah, so no one in my scene had uh, really done the label route at the time when I signed.
0: This was like 2017-ish?
1: Yeah, I'd say 2017, yeah. It was early, maybe late 2016 when I was talking to Equal Vision as well. A lot of people in the SoundCloud community were extremely anti-label which there's a lot of merit and there's a lot of, like, I understand that, that, that philosophy, but at the same time, I think that a lot of kids were just anti-label because it was just an echo chamber. They didn't really have any concrete reasoning as to why they didn't want to sign a contract. It was just like labels, bad DIY, good. You will lose all your money type thing. I wanted to be very selective on what kind of label I joined and, I was open to the idea of signing to a label because I had a moment where I was just in my parents' basement or whatever and I was like I just want to make music for a career forever. I don't want to have to like get some job that I don't want to do with a molder. I don't want that for me. So from my perspective the easiest way to do that was to get a lot of money from a record label and consistently be on a contract that will pay you for making albums. And at the time, I mean, it was a gamble. You know what I mean? I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if what I was doing was sustainable. And I had some, you know, labels approaching me that was like, hey, we'll give you X, Y, and Z for doing what you do. And right at that
0: time, it was very unclear that this sort of music had any kind of upside.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it was the Wild West. No one knew if there was any like commercial sort of success in on the horizon for genre
0: i do think it's interesting how long i mean you know epitaph signed everybody you know in like late 2019 which i'm glad they did but feel like the labels took a really long time to kind of come around to this stuff like they missed the boat by a couple years
1: yeah that's usually how it goes the genres will be around for a long time and artists will be around for a long time until the those people get on but i mean who knows maybe they could have they could have known but it was kind of like a stock like the stock was maybe too volatile or, or something right right so yeah and i met with so many different labels like i met with all the majors too that were like we'll give you so much money for doing this and but at the same time it was like terrible 360 deals I didn't want to be shelved. Um,
0: and yeah, you don't want to be priority number 47 no, for Universal.
1: No, like I don't want to fall beyond like Ariana Grande or like I'm like backup, backup, backup times 100 <laughs> quarterback. <laughs> so I'd be sitting on the bench for sure. And Fueled By was like that happy medium, you know, and I just like the people there.
0: Yeah. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gourley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.
1: Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wilde. And we are the Honest AF Show.
0: go to distrokid.com/vip/the punk rock nba and thanks again to distrokid for sponsoring this episode i also wanted to ask you about the uh, i read some other interviews you did about the name of the album trauma factory and kind of the i guess the the buddhist philosophy behind some of that and could you explain that really quickly for anybody who may have not have heard you talk about it
1: yeah totally trauma factory was a uh... The name of the album that I came up with, essentially, it ties into one of the main stables of Buddhism, which is like, you know, suffering is the human condition. Suffering is a part of life. And that could be viewed negatively, I guess, by a lot of people. But from my perspective and from the perspective of Buddhism, uh, it is a it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing because it harbors more compassion. It teaches you to realize that every single person you come in contact with all day has their own journey and their own suffering that they're going through so your planetary companions become your fellow sufferers and human life is a trauma factory yes it is but you, you need the yin for the yang there's some beauty in that i feel like
0: i really liked that because now i mean i have a doctor's appointment on monday uh, i've been going through some kind of health stuff recently which cross my fingers i think may not end up being serious but yeah it also might be serious And either way, um, I found myself kind of shocked at how just the fact that I may have this condition made me like instantly so much more empathetic towards people with like all kinds of disabilities and stuff that I, you know, I mean, I knew that these people existed, but I didn't really like internalize it, you know, to the point of like, wow. And like when I would go to the supermarket, I think I wonder how many of the people here are dealing with something like this you know, and you would never know it from looking at them and how that affects their life. And it just made me so much more empathetic instantly. And I'm not going to say I'm glad that I'm going through this, but there's a part of me that was like, you know, this has really helped me grow a lot already. And there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, not glad, but you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, dude, I, I hope that all pans out and, you know, fingers crossed that things are all right.
0: But if it doesn't, that's okay, too, because this is the human condition. You know, I remember listening to bands like Shelter and stuff when I was a kid, getting into like Krishna consciousness and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this is, you know, birth, sickness, old age and death. This is the path we're all on, you know. And I know that's like a heavy thing, but especially as I get older, it's like I'm watching my body age. That's just the way it goes
1: yeah i mean and and that's a testament to the power of mindfulness and living in the present moment another thing with buddhism and Taoism that that i i'm obsessed with i love is uh you know i i do mindfulness meditation always bring myself to the present moment because you never know what's going to happen and the future doesn't exist the past doesn't exist the only thing that's tangible and real is the present moment and um you know, to your point of being at the grocery store and just not knowing what people go through is like, people are harboring so much weight, they're carrying so much. Um, you know, it's, it's astounding. And we tend to forget that, I feel like, and it's sad, but it is, it's healthy. And it's a beautiful thing to like, not lash out and not be angry at others. Because if someone wrongs me, I'm like, they must be suffering, they must be hurt. What led them to take that path? Are they coping in a negative way?
0: Sure. Their kid might have cancer. They might be stressed the fuck out because their kid is in surgery tomorrow. Yeah. And maybe that's why they were an asshole to you at at Starbucks.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And if you knew that, you couldn't be mad at them.
1: No way. Yeah. So like unconditional compassion is like, is huge. How do you love your, your biggest quote unquote enemy or something?
0: I'm not saying I'm some you know, super enlightened person that's transcended this stuff because I have my moments just like anyone else. But Same. I find it really hard to be angry at people now because of that.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And, and to your point, I feel like I had a very similar um, experience. You know, I'd lost 25, 30 pounds through anxiety and was having really scary, almost like just these weird symptoms. Uh, and I was really going through it mentally. And I just had during that time, I had so much compassion towards others because I guess we forget. We go, we get on, you know, cruise control and we're like, everyone must feel like I do because I'm okay.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm trying, you know, cross my fingers. Let's say that everything's okay. I'm trying to remember and like stay in that moment of like high empathy. You know, even if everything's okay for me, I want to stay in that moment and remember that, you know, for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. That, and that's huge and that's like amazing that you have that that mindset maybe it comes with age or just like who you are as a person but um unfortunately some people um they don't think that way but it's just great that that we do you know what i mean well that's
0: why i'm so glad that you you know are talking about this in the context of the album and the name and everything because it was you know partly because of my mom because she was into that stuff but also because of you know because of shelter that i started learning about krishna consciousness when i was a mm-hmm. kid and i'm not i'm not like a Krishna, but the stuff that I learned from that, like really stuck with me. And it's because and I didn't listen when my mom told me the same shit, because yeah. I was 15. But when a band told me, I'm like, Oh, well, if a guy in a band says it, it must be true. Yeah, uh, which is unfortunate. But that's how kids think. And so I'm, I'm really glad this is like a very, a very high level, but very, very, very important message that you're talking about. And like, nobody talks about this stuff, at least in our culture. So I'm really happy to see that you are.
1: Yeah, man. Um, and, and I totally, like, I remember, like, you know, Crow mags and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, you know, like, John Joseph into the Krishna stuff. And, you know, one of my all-time favorite bands is Have Heart. And Have Heart was always talking about, you know, PMA and just being a better person and just, like, using your best foot forward. And that was something and I'm, it still is something that I'm really grateful that I had growing up um and I wish that uh more kids had that experience um because yeah we don't always listen to uh <laughs> our parents when we're younger
0: yeah well one thing that uh I found interesting is that unlike a lot of your peers you know when dealing with mental health stuff it sounds like you never got into like drugs or anything like that to deal with it
1: no yeah I've been I've been straight edge uh, my whole life and well, I tried smoking weed when I was fourteen, and I had a panic attack, and I hated it.
0: It sucks. It's the worst.
1: Yeah, I don't like it. It works great for some people. So since I've been fourteen, I've been straight edge, and um, yeah, I've never been drunk. I don't know what that feels like. I always like ask my friends, like, well, what it, <laughs> what does it feel like to be drunk? It's like
0: taking a hard fall when you skateboard.
1: Yeah, I guess. Which I did yesterday, <laughs> and is not cool. I think I saw the negative effects of. Um, you know, alcoholism and addiction sort of at a young age with certain people. And I saw the culture, the party culture when I was in high school. And I just didn't, uh, it didn't speak to me. It annoyed me. It made me angry and confused. And I just decided from a young age, I wanted to find a different way to cope with the, uh, the stress of life. And um, I directed my attention towards, you know, making videos and songs and stuff like that.
0: Well, I'm happy to hear that because, you know, knowing how hard things were for you a couple years ago, imagine how much worse it would be if you were also dealing with addiction on top of that. I mean, that's what kills people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and so when I was younger, I was very ignorant towards addiction and alcoholism. And I can say that now, I didn't understand. I was like, you know, these people who are using are, you know, why are they doing that? Like, they're just ruining themselves. Like, I don't understand it. And, you know, it, it came with age. I was like, people are, are suffering and they're looking for coping mechanisms. And when I was at my worst, I refused for so many years to get on um, antidepressants, to get on anything. And I got to a point where I was like, I would do anything not to feel this way I would do heroin not to feel this way so I was I went to a psychiatrist and I was like yeah like give me the antidepressant. give me the heroin <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like,
0: uh, that's not what we do here <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah she's like
0: shoot me up in the neck doc
1: yeah no but I mean it, it that is that was a big moment for me too where I was just like Oh, my God. And then being very, very close with someone who struggles with addiction. People just want to feel okay. And it gets so bad that you'll do anything to feel okay.
0: I mean, like, my mom was an alcoholic. And, you know, she and and it's super obvious to me, especially now as an adult. Why? I mean, her mom died when she was seven. Her dad died when she was 14. Her brother killed himself when she was 20. And she found him. You know, it's like, well, of course she's a fucking mess. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't be?
1: yeah, that's gnarly. That is gnarly. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, how do you cope with stuff like that? How?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's going to fuck anybody up. And that's why I like people getting judgmental about addicts is you know, hard to see because it's like, dude, if you went through that, you would do the same thing. Anybody would.
1: Anybody would. I mean, the pain gets to a certain point where it's like, I just, I don't want to, I can't do it. You know, I need an out. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. And it's sad. It's super sad.
0: So with mindfulness for anybody who is sort of interested and may have heard that term and thinks, all right, well, maybe I should look into that. What do you have any suggestions for where they might start?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think a great place to start in my opinion would be the headspace app, um, simply because they really nail the basics of naming and noting your emotions. Like it's not, uh, so avant-garde and so pretentious it's really just you know step by step how to sit uh, in contemplation and just if you're if you have a thought come into your mind you're like oh i'm thinking if you feel something you say oh i'm feeling um and it's guided meditation so i would recommend getting into some guided meditations i would recommend headspace but um it's really hard to just get into meditation and just sit there because we have what Buddhists call so hard. Yeah. Monkey mind. I mean, you're so hard. Like sitting
0: there for 30 seconds (laughs) and with, with a a, a calm, peaceful mind, not thinking about anything is so hard.
1: Yeah. So when I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of punk rock NBA. I watch every video. I listen to podcasts and you strike me as someone who is super ambitious always going like really like doing everything you can to move your brand forward. Like, do you take the time ever? Like how? what's your relationship with meditation?
0: Oh yeah. I, I have spent for anybody listening, like all of the things you said is true, but I have spent more time and energy on managing my own psychology over the years than anything else combined. Like since I was like 14, because my mom was super into this stuff. She did a daily practice called A Course in Miracles, which has a dumb hippie name, but it's awesome. Um, she got me a book by this guy named Paramahansa Yogananda when I was a kid who's like a sort of Krishna guy. Um, and I have practiced all that stuff since I was 14. And it is that's it, it, the foundation for everything. Like you can't be successful in business or relationships or anything like that without that foundation of having your head in the right place. And I'm not saying that mine is always in the right place because it's not, but man, I have come so fucking far, Yeah. you know, and, and it's only because I, I think about that every minute of every day. Like there's never a moment where I just let my mind run wild.
1: Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it makes sense. I had a hunch that you were into it because I feel like you can't, it's not sustainable to be so ambitious without, you know, checking all of the boxes, you know? Um, I've often said like, I'm like a Toyota Camry with like 300,000 miles. Like I (laughs) I, I have to like really like do my maintenance to keep moving, you know?
0: Yeah. And I'm very aware that I could accomplish more than I have if I wanted to like I could I could start a company you know that ended up being worth tens of millions of dollars a couple year in a couple of years and get funding for it and all that shit i thousand percent confident I could do that and it might sound like a cop-out or something but I've chosen not to because I know that that would come at the cost of my mental health and you know well-being basically yeah that would be a stupid choice for me to make
1: yeah, I've had similar experiences with offers and stuff like that, where I'm like, you know, on uh, paper, and you know, you really want to do something, but the reality of it is, no amount of money or or uh, whatever is is really gonna replace, you know, like your mental health. <laughs> like,
0: absolutely, which sounds obvious, but people people make trade offs in favor of. I mean, a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is materialism. Mm-hmm. And just how much everybody, including me, makes trade offs in favor of material shit Mm. at the cost of their, like, you know, mental or spiritual well being, and just how stupid that is. And I'm not looking down on that. It's like we all do it. Yeah. You know, it's like what you're, you're working so that you can like buy some shit you don't even really care about at the cost of not seeing your family. Like, what the fuck are we doing?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm totally like, you know, I'm a mess. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm i not like some like uh, enlightened being or anything like that. And totally like I do it all the time, you know, and then and then you get the thing and you're like, oh, what the fuck? Like it happened again. You know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, you get that little dopamine hit for like literally five seconds.
1: Literally. Yeah, and you forget, and then your 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 brain. I mean, you know, maybe it's like living under like like a capitalist society or like a Western society where people are screaming at you, and their the, your value is, you know, how how good you are as a person is is based on like your monetary accomplishments, and we've been screamed at.
0: Well, I I think it's I think the that system is a product of our of our biological programming because we're optimized mm. for a resource scarce environment yep. where you had to potentially be willing to kill somebody over a piece of meat. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We don't live in that world anymore. We live in a resource abundant world, but our our brains are program our mental algorithm is optimized for a resource scarce environment. I think that's the root of a lot of this stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a very very good point. Sort of like the technology in society is has blown past our biological sort exactly. of evolution and we are these like monkeys with access to everything
0: <laughs> yeah it's like putting a dog at the fucking controls of a 747 and
1: it's like whoa, <laughs> i'm a dog what do i do with this yeah we're idiots we're 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 still primates you know what i mean and it's uh it's fascinating and it's just fascinating uh i think it was like schopenhauer who who was talking about like you know, dancing, uh, hopelessly into like the arms of death, um, just always want becoming and wanting and just never being,
0: and that's a very bizarre,
1: the human condition. And, and, and I can't, that's been the hardest thing for me ever is to shake that. Like I have a a home now I have money for food. I have everything. And I know through reading Buddhism and Taoism and, and all of that, that I don't need anything else, but my brain is always screaming at me like you need more.
0: Exactly. And so to your point about ambition and stuff, I very consciously push back on that part of my brain because for whatever reason that part of my brain screams louder than it does for some other people. Yeah. But I try to keep that in check for that exact reason. And, you know, on that note, you said earlier that you wanted to do music for the rest of your life, which I'm sure you'll be able to if you want to, but you also seem like the kind of person where, you know, I could imagine reading a headline in two years where it's like, you know, nothing nowhere quits music to be a maple syrup farmer and nobody ever hears from you again. And you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I just got this maple syrup company. Is that something that you like? Is, am I off base there? or
1: Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I fantasize about that for sure. Um, and I also... Um, For anybody who doesn't know,
0: you live in Vermont and you make maple syrup. So I didn't just pull that out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, definitely my life. I do fantasize about that, especially, you know, I have these conversations with people who's like, you know, this guy the other day was like, uh, yeah, we we do $300,000 a year in sap. And I'm like, oh, and you're just, you're tapping trees. That sounds very relaxing. There's no one screaming at you that you need to make a hit when you're uh, tapping trees. I think that would be true. However, I have this piece of me that needs music. And I've tried to quit music in the past. And I know it's not possible for me. It's just not possible. I think I need to be making music. But do I need to be paid for making music? That remains to be seen. I just know that I hate 9 to 5s enough (laughs) to want to avoid them this is the you know, this is what i'm the best at i feel like and to be paid for what you're the best at is makes the most sense to me but it gets real stressful that's for sure
0: yeah i sometimes think about the same thing and i would imagine you know anything that i kind of deal with as far as like the mental health side of being in the public eye you know is 10 times bigger for you i kind of fundamentally don't think that being a public figure is healthy
1: no absolutely not. I don't, I don't see the benefit in it. Uh, I, I see the benefit in it is obviously the connection you make with others and, um, you're enriching people's lives. Uh, not that I do anything special. I just make songs, but to, to, for people to say, Hey, this changed my life is really special. And, and I have a platform now where I can work in tandem with charities and, and I can really, uh, do my best to create like substantive, change but i heard like russell brand or someone talking about how fame is
0: oh dude he's brilliant i love him
1: he is uh yeah just a brilliant uh loquacious very seasoned vocabulary that,
0: dude he just fucking goes for like 12 minutes saying stuff that's smarter than anything i've said in my life <laughs> and
1: i have i it's unbelievable and a lot of people write him off because they just remember him from you know get them to the Greek or whatever. They don't understand. But uh, he was talking about how, you know, fame is, is a flavorless broth. It, it, it brings absolutely nothing to the table. Um, It is, I'm not even famous. I, I just, people know who I am and it is, it's another one of those things that our monkey minds just really clamor onto. When I was younger, I was like, if I had this I would be happy. But at the end of the day, we're trying to fill the void with external things that we believe is going to make us whole again, which which is never going to happen. And some people never learn that and they do it all the way until they die. Surprise surprise, like, you know, fame, money, whatever never brought you happiness in the first place. It's the relationships you have with others and with yourself.
0: Yep. 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 I remember, you know, there was some downset song that Uh, I heard, you know, when I was a kid that was talking about this, like you can, you know, have all the sex in the world and do all the drugs in the world, but it's, you know, it's and have all the money in the world. It's not going to make you happy. And I was too young to really understand that at the time. But, you know, as I've gotten older and tried to fill that void in so many different ways and it's like, oh, okay. All those people who told me this because they'd been through it, I guess they were right.
1: Yeah. I guess we always like to learn things the hard way. Like we can never take someone's <laughs> word course. for it. We can never be like, okay, you know, we got to go through the I mean, um,
0: Imagine how fucked up it is to be actually famous. Like the kind of person who can't go to the fucking grocery store.
1: No. And I, I have friends that are actually famous and uh, you know, paparazzi and stuff like that. And I just, it's when I see them and I see that they are um, handling it and I'm like, you are, that is <laughs> unbelievable you know like it's you have to be a certain type of person i think for sure to be able to deal with that
0: i mean you see like what a mess a lot of these like disney stars the people who are disney stars when they were like 10 you know became yeah. later in life and it's like well no shit jesus
1: yeah i mean everything everything you do is under a microscope you can't just be a person um there's no you don't your personal freedoms are stripped from you and uh I would just be paranoid. I would, I'd probably fucking lose my mind. Honestly.
0: Can't trust anyone.
1: No. I mean, yeah. Every single relationship you have, you'll be questioning it. And that is not a normal thing to do at all. You know, like who has uh, ulterior motives, you know, always. Yeah. Is that
0: why you live in Vermont? Kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the ideal thing for your career would be to live in LA and, you know, be close to everyone and blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. Um, if I was in LA, I know for a fact like things would be much, much easier and smooth sailing. I'd be in sessions every day. I'd be in X, Y, and Z. I'd be plugged in, but I can't do it. I can't um I need to be in the woods. Um, I need to have my safe place that I can go to. Cause if I'm somewhere like that in a city, um, I am always nothing nowhere, making music. I'm never me. I'm never Joe and I'm never, you know, connecting with the earth and feeling any type of tranquility, which I need for sure. Um,
0: so, yeah. So. Yeah. I, th- I think about that a lot, too, of like, you know, sometimes we've talked about moving to California and every time I'm like, nope, because then I'm going to be stressed the fuck out because I spent four hours in traffic to go meet with somebody about something and I'm just going to constantly feel like I'm chasing a ball and I never get the ball and I'm not going to do it.
1: Yeah. It's a rat race for sure. And I, um, I'm out there enough, you know, pre COVID, like I'm, I was always out there for sessions and meeting with people, whatever. But, uh, I always know when I'm on my trip that I can, I'm about to take a plane home and, and, you know, four days and I get to go home to, you know, the woods and that it's is your what, trees. Yeah. That's what saves me for sure. Cause if I didn't have that out, I would be, you know, my, my mind would be a mess.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you, uh, uh, covering out a, a few minutes for this. Is there any words of wisdom or anything else you want to leave people with before I let you go?
1: what we were talking about be kind to others because you never know what they're going through and uh yeah just keep an open mind and stay in the present and i'm just an idiot who makes music so don't take that uh advice you know but yeah that's it
0: cool well i appreciate it sick all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you If you wanna help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really wanna support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.
1: Ever wonder what
0: a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana?
1: Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of
0: Too Much F.E. Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead.
1: And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective.
0: The only podcast you crank up to 11.